Hi, I'm Pinny. I'm Astrid. And welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that decolonizes history one story at a time. So we're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country and essentially appreciate the identity of each nation. Um, and through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. Welcome back. And yeah, we're back. You're back. We're all here, ready to catch up on some histories. How are you doing? I'm quite excited this week. Yeah, no, I'm good. I mean, I'm currently recording in a hairnet, but... <laughs> it's a look. It's, it's all look, about I'm the sure. comforts. <laughs> recorded at home. Oh, definitely. This is... Yeah, no, it's actually like... I feel like it's been ages that I've actually been like super excited for things, but the month of my birthday is here. Oh, it's an interesting birthday with the super six. Yeah. (laughs) Finding, I feel like that is like the biggest test of friendship. You have to identify your six, actually, including yourself. Okay, five. Five. Close, yeah. It's yeah. like a MySpace top friends. Like, I didn't oh. have that. I literally don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Someone that didn't have MySpace in the early noughties. I feel like, you know how late I was to Instagram. So I oh, just, man. I'm the least millennial millennial, like, honestly. <laughs> just not being able to relate to BuzzFeed articles. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so you had like your top friends on MySpace. Yeah, you had to have your top friends. I can't remember how many friends they allowed you, but yeah, you'd like even rank them and people would have arguments and fall out because they weren't in the top whatever. Oh, wow. I know, it was quite deep. Okay, no, I was definitely not in my space. I was Bebo, had one of those. Yeah, I mean, I was a Bebo part-time, I would say. That's one of the things I wish like you could still have. I'd love to see, as cringe as it would be, my Bebo account and the kind of things I would post. It would be good because at least there'd be no targeted ads. Like, you just take these things for granted, you know, you can just yeah, browse oh my whatever gosh, that's so you can come true. back to social media and there's not you know trying to sell you stuff so it's just great but also no wonder they're no longer available bebo isn't a thing but might google it might have a look let us know if you try my african pride this week i would like to shout out dr faji mena who has become the first scientist from niger to work for nasa at the young age of 29 Wow. I know. Amazing, isn't it? Like, 29. That's not far away, you know. (sighs) Trying to think about, like, upping my achievements at the moment. You can't (laughs) just have GCSEs and a uni degree, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, In an interview with the BBC, she said that she would use her new job to give back to her country and the continent. And also in her career, she's worked with very few Africans, but she actively finds ways to connect with Africans from the continent in other ways. And Dr. Mayner has also been recognised on the Forbes list 30 under 30 in science. So that's wow. one of those lists I'd love to be on. Oh, I don't, I don't know what know. category, but I want to be yeah, on that I list. Okay, I'm five years out. We've got time. We've got yeah, we, time. We have a little bit of time left. Limited, but you know, it's available. We love to see it. Congratulations on the new job. And yeah. This week's episode, we are investigating the creation of South Sudan, a country which became officially recognised in 2011. South Sudan is in northeastern Africa and gained independence from Sudan, its neighbour to the north, on the 9th of July 2011. The fight for independence was long and ended one of Africa's longest-running civil wars. In this episode, we'll be referring to the Republic of Sudan as North Sudan, and the Republic of South Sudan of South Sudan to make life a lot easier because I honestly don't know when they became independent. Why couldn't you have picked something just completely different? 
But hey, yeah. you know, re- respecting, you know, people's choices and all of that. Yeah, so, yeah. we can't decide what country name to uh, to assign, but... No, no, we're not. Yeah. We're not Europe. <laughs> we're, yeah, <that's... laughs> we'll give you freedom and actually let that be honest. Do you know what I mean? Let that be the truth. The name Sudan derives from the Arabic phrase Bilad al-Sudan, which translates as land of the blacks. So, yeah, that's what it says straight on the to the point, isn't it? South Sudan is highly diverse, both ethnically and linguistically. Its largest ethnic groups are the Dinka, Nuer and the Shiluk. When it comes to religion, the country's citizens tend to follow Christianity as well as traditional African religions, which is a vast contrast to North Sudan where Islam is the primary religion. A reason for this north-south divide stems from ancient times, where Sudan as a whole was being influenced by both Arab and African cultural traditions, and during that time, Islam and the Arabic language and culture dominated in many northern parts of the continent, whilst older African languages and cultures dominated in the south. We do touch on this Arab influence on the African continent, particularly in the north, which kind of created this imaginary sub-Saharan Africa divide. Yeah. And we talk about that in our first episode of this season when when we talk about Gaddafi and, you know, why people have come up with this sub-Saharan Africa concept. Also, the point around religion is important to the story of South Sudan as it does play a part in the division of the country as many South Sudanese citizens didn't identify with the Islam and Arabic culture coming from the north. And again, it's just that whole kind of shows the importance of religion when it comes to a lot of the countries we've explored. Yeah. It's somehow kind of forever it being embedded in terms of like how that can be kind of for bringing people together but also can really help bring divides and as we said european countries really use religion to divide and conquer and that's part of that strategy so yeah again kind of religion playing a role within um the country's history it's the colonizer handbook isn't it really it's like religion um ethnic group um just anything to basically and also it's the fact that they carved countries without regarding people's religions or ethnic groups either so Yeah, both of those were contributed to this mess. Before we get into South Sudan's independence story, it's important to recognise and understand its history prior to this, when it formed part of North Sudan for more than a century. South Sudan's current state of affairs had been very much influenced by its past with North Sudan, and so it's key to understand this relationship between both countries. Prior to the secession of South Sudan in 2011, Sudan was once the largest African country and represented more than 8% of the African continent and almost 2% of the world's total land area. What? I know, honestly. <laughs> how nuts is that? That is... You just can't be trusting your maps out here, guys. I'm pretty sure on Google Maps, like, Sudan does not look that big. And I was actually, like, reading up an article by Global Citizens where they were saying that, you know, we're basically living in a colonial matrix <laughs> in terms of the map we're so used to seeing because yeah. Europe is not the centre of the universe, guys. And in any map that you see, it's literally bang on in the middle. And yeah. then you've got the US over there lying about its size because, you know, size matters. So Yeah, it does, doesn't it? I mean, it's big, but it ain't that big. It ain't that big so it's just really representing how you know even within the maps that we see it plays on this idea that you know by being smaller you know it's less relevant but then europe is huge like the african continent is huge definitely worth reading up on like yeah the accuracy of maps sudan's history is vast with its earliest inhabitants being africans who lived in and around the city of khartoum which is the capital of north sudan 
during the Mesolithic times, also known as the Middle Stone Ages. And as much as we'd love to cover Sudan from ancient history to present day, we'd be here forever discussing it all. So (laughs) we've picked the Anglo-Egyptian rule of Sudan as a key historical moment that has influenced and impacted both North and South Sudan. Between 1899 and 1955, Sudan was ruled by both the British and Egyptian governments. This joint government was established by the Anglo-Egyptian Condominium Agreement. A condominium in this case is defined as a country that is governed by two or more foreign powers. Although Sudan was meant to be equally shared by both countries, um, you can probably guess the British were in control of Sudan. Let's not say the Egyptians were. Why wouldn't they be? With the government members always being from British universities and military schools. The north and south of the country were treated as two separate provinces as part of the condominium. The north was heavily invested in, however the south resisted, and so the focus was not on improving the south, but keeping peace. So you can see from like mm. right through kind of, yeah, the Anglo-Egyptian era, there, were very mu- there was very much that north-south divide. It was already um, there. It kind of just carried on, really. In 1956, Sudan gained independence from the Anglo-Egyptian rule. And this is very much when the North and South divide gained prominence. Post-independence, Sudan's government struggled to bring the country together, a result of the strong cultural differences between the North and the South. The government was predominantly formed of individuals from the North, and as we mentioned, the North was Islamic, and so the government wanted to extend Islamic law and culture to all parts of the country. However, there were huge pushbacks from the southerners who were predominantly Christians and felt the government was trying to impose Islamic culture onto them. The southern army officers led by the Anya Nia guerrilla movement rebelled against the north, sparking off a civil war from 1955 to 1972. That's a long civil war. Tell me about it. 17 years. That's a lot. The 17-year conflict ended when the Addis Ababa Peace Agreement of 1972 was introduced. The peace agreement gave South Sudan a degree of self-government, with the region no longer being split into three regions. The South's dealings would also be managed separately from the North, and this was the beginning of the separation of the two countries. I kind of understand what they were trying to do here in terms of like, okay, the South citizens really are not feeling, you know, yeah. the culture we're trying to, you know, impose. For some reason, they're really not feeling this imposition. But let's let them kind of be themselves. Mm-hmm. But I just wondered, like, why not? I don't know. It just feels like it really created that divide even more by allowing them to be kind of independent and separate, but without kind of really understanding it and actually seeing how we can create a culture of our own. Exactly. By having both kind of groups together. Unfortunately, the Addis Ababa Peace Agreement of 1972 was short-lived, and 11 years later, in 1983, a second civil war broke out. Once again, another peace agreement was introduced on the 9th of January 2005 to bring the civil war to an end. So, yeah, it took 19 years for the 2005 Comprehensive Peace Agreement to be introduced. You'd think after the first one that took 17, it'd be like, (laughs) you know, guys, let's just not do, like, we cannot be dealing with these civil wars. Almost two decades of a civil war. I guess it just goes to show here that the feelings were so strong in this situation that they still felt that they had to continue with their fight yeah they felt so strongly about it that they were like yeah we'll just keep going keep going but it's just thinking about just the de- generations of people as well living yeah, through this that just complete yeah exactly the 2005 peace agreement was signed by the government of sudan representing north sudan and the sudan's people liberation movement's army representing south sudan 
The CPA assisted in handling some of the key causes of the civil war, including the South's economic disadvantages and their exclusion from the government. The CPA arrangement brought about both political and economic changes. It also challenged the state structure of Sudan by allowing South Sudan the chance to choose whether they continued as part of one Sudan or forged a separate nation. There was a six-year transitional period and in 2011, a referendum took place. The people of South Sudan voted in a referendum on southern independence. Almost 99% of voters voted in favour of the South withdrawing from the North. On the 9th of July 2011, South Sudan had become an independent country. So at this point in 2011, Sudan had gone through two civil wars spanning over 20 years, which took the lives of 1.5 million people and more than 4 million people were displaced. And as we said earlier, there were several generations that were witness to this. So especially those who never saw this independence that had been fighting since, what, the 50s almost? Yeah, and then just being like, we're carrying on. 2011, that's honestly so crazy. Just thinking about the amount of people who lost their lives, who kind of were displaced as a result of it, who lost family members and just, gosh, I feel like sometimes I can give up too easily. God, I'll just be like, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't deal. As well, I guess it also goes to show, because a lot of images of these war-torn you know, generic African countries that are pumped out through adverts and white saviorism. There's not really an understanding as to why this was going on. I know that Sudan was especially used as one of those, like, oh, the children in Sudan, you know. Yeah. But without actually acknowledging or understanding the situation in Sudan and why the fighting is going on. So it's really important that we do understand the stories behind these conflicts and not just use them for some kind of some kind of gain, really. It definitely don't just have like Gerald Butler turn up in a dog bowl. Bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's definitely yeah, important to kind of understand the reasoning why um, and the underlying yeah causes that's really kind of creating this, these yeah, wars. Yeah, definitely. At that time, there were many sceptics when it came to South Sudan's ability to succeed as an independent nation, with many arguing that South Sudan was a destined to fail state. Well... It was no surprise when in 2013, a civil war broke out within this new nation. The Sudan People's Liberation Movement Army split into two camps and one camp was led by President Salva Kerr, who is the current president of South Sudan and has been in post since 2011. The second camp was formed by President Kerr's former vice president, Dr. Riek Masha, who was accused of plotting to overthrow the president. South Sudan has internal struggles to deal with quite clearly and the absence of solidarity between the 64 or more South Sudanese ethnic groups as they begin to coexist as one nation. The newly formed South Sudanese government consciously disregarded the law and felt a sense of entitlement to the country's wealth due to the part that they played in freeing the nation. According to Jacob D. Chol, a senior reader of political science at the University of Juba, The critical institutions that could have united South Sudan are struck by nepotism, ethnic allegiance, dominance and incompetence in delivering services to all South Sudanese citizens. Finding employment in the public service is marred by favouritism. Yeah, this is like really similar to the whole um, Mugabe kind of episode when we discussed how he really helped in freeing the country. Mm. But at the same time, he felt like that entitled him to literally treat it like 
his own little playground you know take whatever he wanted do whatever he wanted but that really does not give you that entitlement you're there to really represent every single citizen yes you're supported in freeing it but actually you also have a responsibility in terms of making sure that everybody reaps the reward of it not just you being like well give myself a gold star and (laughs) i will take that 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 and that also do you know what i mean like exactly exactly i guess it's like Maybe it's around the fact that in these sort of systems, political systems, there's always a group that will be oppressed and mm-hmm. the bullied becomes the bully. It's a bit like yeah. that. So is it is it that system that's the issue? Because it's like, oh, I can't wait to oppress people. Like, that's literally almost what it's like. Mm-hmm. And we've just seen this play up, like, so many times. Like, honestly, it frustrates me with all the different characters. And in terms of, oh, what was the one? Episode two, season one. Sankara, Thomas Sankara. Yeah when we covered Thomas Sankara in terms of like all these ideas that he brought in and we were like yes he's doing the he's doing it he's doing it yeah. and then what happens is takes it too far literally it just yeah he kind of tipped the scale a bit there yeah <sighs> you're like guys you did you you got your flowers don't just stop don't try try and get your own flowers and get like do you know what I mean yeah but anyways Although South Sudan gained independence from North Sudan, both countries were still tied and there were and still are issues which remain unresolved. One key issue involves oil. Of course it would. So it wouldn't be one of our episodes without where is the oil? I want that on like a hoodie. Where is the oil? (laughs) Yeah. Soon come, soon come. Oil revenue is a key part of both countries' economy with South Sudan being one of the most oil-dependent countries in the world. And oil accounts for almost all of its exports and making up more than 40% of its gross domestic product. Beyond the oil sector, employment is concentrated in low-productive, unpaid agriculture and farming work. Despite the fact that oil is an amazing wellspring of income for South Sudan, this isn't reflected in its citizens' living standards, with around 82% of the population living in poverty. Although the management of oil revenue is one issue South Sudan faces, the other issue involves sharing oil with North Sudan. So as we can tell with the number of civil wars they had, can you imagine? Yeah, you don't share the oil. North Sudan controls the pipeline and refining infrastructure needed to process South Sudan's oil and transport it to marine terminals and make it available to global markets, you know, because the West needs their oil gas. Of course. Essentially, both countries need each other in order to have a successful oil business, as the oil is available in the South, but it needs to be processed in the North. However, neither country was willing to share in the process. In 2012, the South Sudanese government decided to stop oil production. This shutdown was a result of a dispute between both countries when it came to agreeing on a transit fee for oil flowing from South Sudan to the marine terminal at Port Sudan in the north. The South wanted to pay a dollar per barrel, but the North was asking for between 23 to 36 dollars. So as you can tell, like that was not a fair, you know, no. deal around there. But just just going back to this point, like oil makes up so much of South Sudan's income. They decided to shut it down. As a result of the beef. The beef was, just... was that deep <laughs> that they were like, you know what, let's just shut it down. Not really caring about your citizens who are already living in poverty. You're just yeah. gonna shut down your main source of income. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Honestly. 
The African Union made several attempts to bring both parties to an agreement. However, this proved difficult with South Sudan indicating that the decision to stop production was an assertion on independence, with the South's lead negotiator, Pagan Imam, saying that this is a matter of respect. We may be poor, but we will be free. During the oil shutdown, South Sudan explored alternatives to North Sudan's oil pipelines and exporting infrastructure, including building a pipeline through Kenya and another through Ethiopia and Djibouti. In August 2012, at the African Union summit, both parties agreed on a transit fee and oil production resumed. This was never going to be a long-term thing because at the end of the day, they both needed the oil. I'm just surprised like six months to get to an agreement when you both kind of are so dependent on this resource is ridiculous. I know. And another unresolved issue between both countries was the conflicts over the following regions, um, Blue Nile State, Kordofan State and Abay, all of which were on the north-south border. And both countries were adamant that these areas formed part of their respective countries. Under the 2005 CPA, it was agreed that the Blue Nile State and South Kordofan State would form part of North Sudan, despite most citizens within both regions seeing themselves as South Sudanese. When it came to Abai, the 2005 CPA outlined that a referendum would be held in Abai so that the people could decide which country the region would join. This is very similar to the Cameroon issue. Yeah. It's like trying to use referendums to just solve this. The referendum was set to take place at the same time as the South's independent vote. However, it was postponed indefinitely due to the conflicts between North and South Sudan over voter eligibility in the Abai region. The lack of clarity when it came to the ownership of Abai led to South Sudan organising a non-binding referendum that was held in October 2013, with 99.9% of the voters opting in to join South Sudan. Of course, this referendum isn't binding as the vote was created by the South and only South Sudanese citizens voted. Today, the region of Abai is equally shared between North Sudan and South Sudan in a condominium. Those guys just want to be free. Do you know what I mean? Another condominium? Why not? not? Neither of us can decide, we'll just share it. And as we can see, that didn't really work out with the Anglo-Egyptian one. So I cannot imagine either of these countries are sharing that region fairly. There's really words to be said around the whole disregarding of borders and the implications for those countries in the future. It's it's something that we've just seen repeated time and time again, because our recent episode on Cameroon had that issue. Yeah. Um, Quite a lot of African countries do have that issue. And um, yeah, just noticing that the pattern is repeated a lot, because I don't know whether the colonizers intended to stay there long term, but clearly, you know, it just is not sustainable. But I guess this also has something to do with the way in which the continent itself was carved up. Yeah. It's to a certain degree understandable why these issues still exist because everyone's like, well, you're not my neighbour. Well, you're not my neighbour. I really want to be neighbours with you. I want to be, you know, I see myself as X and I see myself as Y. Then, you know, we're not going to agree. But I just wish there was a greater sense of harmony because all of these citizens have gone through so much like let's at least bring the peace internally than create you know (laughs) our own internal civil wars 10 years on from independence south sudan remains a nation tormented by strife and according to niagoa tutpa a researcher at the human rights watch the goals of its long-fought independence from north sudan of freedom social justices equality progress and democracy are far from being realized with many citizens questioning the purpose of the battle for autonomy. Forging a new nation was never going to be easy and it's made significantly difficult by conflict, poor governance, entrenched impunity, weak institutions and a lack of rule of law. 
The longer these issues persist, the more difficult it will be for South Sudan to forge the nation it had imagined throughout the years of civil war. Another deadlock. Do you know what I mean? What do we do? Another referendum? See how that goes? I'm still triggered by the word referendum. I know it's been years, but... Do you know what I mean? They're just handing referendums out willy-nilly. How many can you have and still be deadlocked and not have a decision? To be fair, you're never going to make everybody happy. They'll always be. I'm not saying go for a dictatorial kind of approach to this, but you're never going to make everyone absolutely happy with it. But for it to still be at this kind of impasse where, you know, we've got issues... We've still got unresolved issues with the country we've separated from. When does it end? It's a lot. That was, yes, South Sudan. Thank you so much for joining us and listening to this week's episode. We are off on just a little bit of a break, but we'll be back in three weeks' time with more stories from the continent. We'll have updates on social media. Chini, you forever remember the handles. I'm really bad at them. Yeah, so we're on um, Instagram at It's a Continent Pod. And we're also on Twitter at It's a Continent. During our break, we're still going to be busy on social media, so get following. Also, let us know if you have any ideas for any countries that we should cover next. We're halfway through season two, so it would be great to hear any more feedback or ideas that you guys have. So feel free to drop us a message, comment, tweet us. Yeah, there are definitely a lot of countries we've yet to cover. There are a lot. Let us know. Catch you guys later. Thank you for listening. Bye, guys.